the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Do you ever prayed with someone to receive Christ and said to them, Hey, now, now you're a Christian. Who gives you the right to say that they're a Christian? Jesus just did right here. That if somebody makes a profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus now has given us, through Him, the ability to say, You are now forgiven. Not that I stand in the place of Christ as like the vicar of Christ, but that because of what Jesus has said and Jesus has done. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you of just how important it is to be well-versed in the Word of God. When we know and understand the Bible to the best of our ability, we can go out and share the good news better. But not only that, we can lead others into a saving relationship with Christ. What if you shared the gospel to someone? They were willing and ready to receive Christ, and then you didn't know what to do. It's crucial that we as Christians know how to lead others in a prayer of salvation. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 16 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Who are you going to believe? An account that was written 600 years after Christ or an account that was written by eyewitnesses like Matthew, who was there to hear this conversation. Okay, so we have to understand this is the view. Muslims have this view of Jesus that he's a prophet, but he's a prophet inferior to Muhammad, that he was not crucified and neither did he rise from the dead. Now there is, I got a C in logic in college, but uh, so it shows you what I know, but there is a law of logic called the law of non-contradiction, meaning that two opposing views cannot both be right. They might both be wrong, but they cannot both be right. So if, for example, using this example, if Muslims believe he's a prophet inferior to Muhammad and Jesus himself is going to identify himself as Messiah, as the Son of God, both those views cannot be right. One is true or one is false or they are both false, but they cannot both be true. Now, of course... I'm arguing from the standpoint of Scripture, so I'm believing that what Jesus said is true in the course of all these different examples, and that these other views are false, because these other views are not given to us by eyewitness accounts who were there writing it and inspired by the Spirit to give us the words of Jesus himself. When you look at what Mormons believe, 
Mormons believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Their doctrine teaches that a council of gods, small g, a council of gods determined that Jesus should get the job as redeemer and his spirit brother Lucifer was ticked off. He wanted the job. But the council of gods gave it to Jesus, who is the spirit brother of Lucifer. And you can read that explained just like I read it from Milton R. Hunter in his book, The Gospel Through the Ages, writing uh, on behalf of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That is their doctrine. That is their book that Milton Hunter wrote. It's found on page 15. Now, what do you believe? That uh, Joseph Smith, who found some golden tablets in the 1800s in Palmyra, New York, and then they mysteriously disappeared, has the true account, or first century eyewitness who was there for the conversation, like Matthew, has the account. When you consider what Jehovah's Witnesses teach and what they believe, they teach that Jesus was created as the archangel Michael. In the Watchtower book, Reasoning from the Scriptures, page 218, they spell it right out. Doesn't that title sound rich? It sounds like an evangelical book, Reasoning from the Scriptures. But it's published by the Watchtower Society, which is the uh, publication arm of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so they believe that Jesus was created as the archangel Michael. So now, do you believe something that was written in 1989? Or do you believe something that was a first century eyewitness account like Matthew? And then, of course, we have uh, what I'm going to just simply label as the Western Jesus, okay? That's kind of the modern view of who Jesus is, that he's kind of a really cool, hipster, non-judgmental, everything's about love, religious figure who helped me win a Grammy and an Emmy and an Oscar and a Super Bowl ring, all right? (laughs) That's kind of the Western view of Jesus now, that he's just like, he's my homeboy, he's, you know, my buddy, and he, and he gets me a lot of things and toys, and he never judges, and, and he's my religious friend. Okay, there's just, there's all types of views about who Jesus is. But none of these is correct. The, these are the various views that, that people believe But we have to find from Jesus himself who he says that he is. And we find out who he says he is because he's going to affirm the words of Peter who rises to the occasion to answer the second question. Who do you say that I am? And back to our text, uh, here is his answer in verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, that is a statement of divinity and deity. Don't, don't miss it, because to, to, for a Jew to profess that Jesus is the Son of the living God, they understood that deity emanates from deity, that He is the Son of God, so He must be divine and He must be God because He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. That is just a Greek word, Christos that is identical to the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means Messiah. So when you, when you see the word Christ, it's just identical to the word Messiah. And it literally translates anointed one. So Jesus is the Christ, or he is the Messiah, or he is the anointed one. All of it means the same. 
And, and Peter makes this bold profession of faith. You are the Christ, you're the anointed one, you're the Mashiach, you're Messiah, you are the son of the living God. And you, you can't get any more accurate than that. And Jesus is going to affirm his answer. And he says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. Now, there's, there's, I think, something funny in what Jesus just said and something very complimentary at the same time. The funny thing to me is that he's basically saying to Peter, you're not sharp enough to figure this out on your own. Okay, that's basically what he's saying. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, okay, Pete? You're not smart enough. You didn't get this on your own. But at the same time, he's also commending him because he says, my father, which is in heaven, he's revealed this to you. So at the very least, he is saying to Peter, you have your ear tuned to divine inspiration. You heard this from my Father in heaven. You are speaking truth, though not of your own accord, but inspired by my Father in heaven. And so he affirms this. What Peter said there is truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, verse 18. Now, this is where it gets a little controversial here, okay? Verse 18. And I tell you, Jesus says to him, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. Now, let's take this first part, because uh, this is where it um, is interpreted very differently by Protestants uh, than it is by Catholics. This is a key verse in the Roman Catholic Church as to why they believe that Peter was the first pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Because they interpret this verse to mean, when Jesus says, you are Peter... And on this rock, and Peter's name does mean rock, I'm going to build my church. So the Roman Catholic Church looks at that verse and they say, what Jesus is saying here is that Peter makes this profession, and so the church of Jesus Christ is going to be established on Peter, that he is that rock, and he's the first pope of the Catholic Church, and he is the foundation of the church. Now, I'm going to respectfully disagree And I'm going to tell you, not only does the grammar not bear that out, but neither does Peter. We we are in a mess if Jesus meant that the church is going to be resting on Peter. We're in a mess. Because if you notice, if you notice, just, just glance ahead in a couple of verses, okay? Verse 22. After Jesus gets through saying here, hey, I'm about to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, I'm going to be crucified. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I, I don't know about the infallibility of the, of the Pope, but something's wrong right here, okay? Because Jesus just referred to him as Satan, indirectly, because Peter, isn't this incredible? He goes from this one moment of divine revelation, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, to the next thing, saying something so ridiculous that Jesus has to rebuke Satan. He says, you get behind me, Satan, because what you have in mind is not the things of God, but the things of man. So how can this, if the church is to rest on this guy, how is it that he can go from saying something so right to something so wrong in about five verses? But in addition to that, we see the fallibility of this guy. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes how he rebuked Peter to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And Paul talks in Galatians 2 about how Peter was a hypocrite 
Because Peter was all this inclusive, like, I believe that the Gentiles are part of the body of Christ too as much as the Jews are. Except when some of his brother Jews started coming around, then Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And Paul opposed him to his face in Galatians chapter 2 and says, you're a hypocrite. Because you eat with the Gentiles when your buddies aren't around. As soon as your, fr- your friendly Jewish buddies come around, then all of a sudden you get all Jewish on me, and now you don't want to be seen with the Gentiles. You're a hypocrite. You know, you're fine eating, eating pork barbecue with your Gentiles, but then your Jewish buddies come around, and now everything's kosher. Oh. And so Paul rebukes him. But listen to this, even Peter himself, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says that the church is made up of all of us, and he says, you like living stones. Not me as the rock, he said, all of us like living stones are being built into a spiritual house with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Peter didn't say, with me as the foundation, you know, because that's what Jesus said back in Matthew 16. He gave the church to me. (laughs) No, that's not what happened. But tragically now, Peter's been so deified. You go to to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and and there's the statue of Peter, and his big toe on his right foot is missing. Not because somebody chopped it off, but because people have come along rubbing it and kissing his foot. It's gone. It has been rubbed off over the centuries. I have to believe that Peter is up in heaven going, Oi, vey, it's not me. Don't worship me. Worship the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, let's break down this grammatically, okay? Because here's what Jesus says, and this is important to understand in the language here. Sorry to bore you with this, with this kind of thing, but in the words of Rob Shank, this kind of thing gives me goosebumps. <laughs> um, he's rich. But... When you look at what he says here, he says, now you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The first word for Peter is Petros in the original Greek language, and it's masculine. It refers to Peter, and it does mean rock, but it means little rock, almost like a pebble. He says, you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, now notice the, te- the, the gender changes. You are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Now it switches to feminine. And any of you who have studied the ancient languages like Greek and Latin, you know that a feminine word cannot be the modifier of a masculine word. There has to be a masculine modifier to a masculine word or a feminine modifier to a feminine word. But this means that what Jesus is saying here is not pointing back to Peter. He's pointing to something else. He is pointing to something different from Peter, although what Peter said was true, there is something bigger because Petra means boulder. Not just little stone like pebble. Petra means something huge, boulder. Again, this is this there's some imagery here, isn't there? Because Jesus chooses the base of Mount Hermon, this boulder, this huge rock as this visual illustration of this inspired truth here. There's something bigger than Peter himself. Now, I will hasten to add, because this is the other part of the argument, and I just want to make this for closure's sake, that, that in, for the Roman Catholics who believe that Jesus was saying this about Peter, they will make the argument that Jesus spoke in Aramaic, he didn't speak Greek, 
And so even though in the Greek language there are two different words here, because in Aramaic there's no feminine and masculine words, uh, he's still referring to Peter. But I have to believe that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if we accept that as the basis for all that we accept in faith and practice, that the Scriptures were, in, were inspired by the Holy Spirit through people to write and pen these words, that the Spirit inspired Pete, uh, rather Matthew to write in the Greek language in a way that distinguished these two things so that we would know what Jesus spoke in Aramaic. So that we would understand the original intent behind the words of Jesus, they are then better reflected for us in the Greek language to help us separate these two things. Now, it is safe to say that Jesus is either referring to that the larger boulder, the larger rock, is either himself, because he is the rock, and so perhaps he was even gesturing to himself when he's saying this, well, upon this rock I will build my church, or at the very least, In a similar way, he is saying that this great and profound profession from Peter's lips, that profession of faith is upon which I will build my church. Either one points to Jesus. It's either the profession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he's Messiah, that's what the church is built upon, or, of course, Jesus himself is the rock. Either way, but it is not Peter. It is not Peter. It is the great profession that Peter utters here that whereby all of us making that profession then are part of the church of Jesus Christ and upon that boulder of a profession of faith the church is built or at the very least, of course, upon Jesus himself. But that rock is huge. And he says here that then, therefore, the gates, verse 18, of hell will not overcome it. Now... Again, when you go with me to Israel, there are different ancient cities or ancient towns that we go through, and we see some of the archaeological remains, and we see some of the gates of the ancient cities. Now, in any ancient city, particularly in Israel, the gates of the city were obviously the place of greatest defense, and it was the place where you could penetrate in war as well. So you had to guard it carefully. But within each city gate, there were little sections in which the elders would sit. The elders of every town would sit within the city gate and they would judge disputable matters. And you, you know, if you had a dispute with your neighbor, your friend, or your family member, you'd come to the elders at the city gate. You would explain it and they would give wisdom and they would settle it, much like a judge would. But the elders of the town would also get together and they would strategize for war. That was the place within the city gates where the elders would gather and they would strategize for war. Now, in that context, here's what Jesus is saying. The gates of hell, or all the strategies of Satan and hell, will not prevail against the church. And we are here 2,000 years later as evidence of that. That Satan has never been able to overcome the church, and he never will. Because the church is built upon Jesus... And so Jesus says here, the gates of hell or the strategies of hell will not overcome it, literally will not prove stronger than it. And verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this also gets kind of controversial and crazy too, because this is a verse that a lot of people like to latch on to, talk about binding and loosing everything. And I, and I can tell you, having been a Christian now for about 30 years, I, I have 
seen and heard just about everything bound and loose that could possibly be bound and loosed. There's a lot of bound stuff and he's... Needs to be loose. A lot of loose stuff needs to be bound. And so, you know, there's a lot of people talking about binding and loosing and binding and loosing. I bind this and I bind that and I loose this and I loose that. All right, so here's the context, okay? Let's just calm down with all the binding and loosing, all right? First of all, I, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The scribes would wear keys on sashes. The ancient scribes who would copy Scripture... They had a very meticulous job and, and a very careful responsibility in, in writing Scripture and transferring it from, from uh, scroll to scroll. And so they would wear keys on their sashes as emblems of the keys of knowledge, that these were the, the smart guys who you saw a guy with a sash and a key hanging on it. You knew that was a scribe. This is a smart guy, and he's got a lot of knowledge here. Now... Jesus saying, the knowledge here, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, I'm imparting to the church. You, you now will be equipped to be able to communicate these things. And then when Jesus talks about whatever you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, it will be loose in heaven. Actually, in the original Greek language, it, it better translates, whatever you bind on earth has already been bound. Look up any Greek lexicon, it'll tell you this. What you bind on earth has already been bound. What you loose on earth has already been loosed. It's already been happening in heaven. It's already been done in heaven. It's not like we move heaven when we just start saying, I bind this and I bind that and I loose this and I loose that. These are rabbinical terms. To bind something meant to declare something not permissible. To loose something meant to declare something permissible. And here's what Jesus is saying in the context of all this. He says, look, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You now have the knowledge based on this profession of faith, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you are able to now communicate this and take this, and you will then, by virtue of my authority given unto you, be able to declare some things permitted and some things forbidden in this sense. You ever prayed with someone to receive Christ and said to them, hey, now, now you're a Christian. Who gives you the right to say that they're a Christian? Jesus just did right here. That if somebody makes a profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus now has given us, through him, the ability to say, you are now forgiven. Not that I stand in the place of Christ as like the vicar of Christ, but that because of what Jesus has said and Jesus has done, I'm now able to declare freely that heaven declares you are forgiven and you are saved. And so these are rabbinical terms that will empower the church moving forward here to take the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, to take that knowledge, that information into the world, and on the basis of Jesus and his authority to declare who is, in a sense, forgiven and who is not because of their own profession of faith in Jesus Christ. What gave Peter the ability on the day of Pentecost to stand up and to preach the gospel and 3,000 people got saved and to declare that they would be saved if they would pray this prayer, accept that? He was here for this, and he took that authority and that responsibility and that privilege to declare in the name of Jesus that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, so that all who heard it and believed it and confessed it would be saved. Amen? And then Jesus says in verse 20, then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ, which seems kind of strange. 
But there's a reason behind that, and we'll get to that next week. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know